My goodness, it's the Totally Football Show. Today, World Cup qualifying's deadline day of drama. Ireland make Wales blubber, but we don't have to cry for Argentina. While plans to make America great again scuppered by deciding game with Tobago being played on islands surrounded by big water, ocean water, which the US notoriously have trouble with. With 22 nations now through, we round up all the news, then park all of that till November and the playoffs, because here comes club football. Premier League drama from one end to the other. Liverpool have got no money. Palace have got no points. Stoke have got no chance away at Man City, or have they? We'll be discussing that. Plus, French news, Italian news, financial news, and your comments too. It's the Totally Football Show. Hey there, listener. Yeah. Uh, on the show today, I'm so happy uh, to welcome back Julien Laurent. Hello, James. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me. No, you it's don't a pleasure. sound happy. No, John, I'm, I'm so happy to be here. Let me try even more. <laughs> wow, we've got James Horncastle here. <laughs> well, again. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Right. And how about this from Mystery Ingredient, Dr. Tom Markham. Hello, everyone. Yes, Dr. Tom. A man, Jules whose CV would make even Citroën jealous. Really? You know, C- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dr Tom over there, he's too modest to tell you this himself, he is <clears throat> the first person in the UK to have a PhD in football finance. Is that true? Very true. He understands FFP, is that true? Yes. Oh, wow. He advised on Yunyi's takeover of West Brom and Lander Sports acquisition of Southampton, correct? I did. Busy guy. Oh, he also invented, I know you'll like this, the Markham multivariate model, Jules. Nice. MMM. As, MMM, yeah. As we call it, which has been used in the majority of football club sales in recent years. And by day, you help make football manager, you help keep Ian McIntosh out of trouble, basically. I do. I keep Ian off the streets. Well, you're also a film producer, Dr. Tom. I am a film producer. But no, something that's been mentioned on the show previously, I think it was uh, Philippe who brought it up, Philippe Auclair, right. the, the Kaiser film. Yeah. Carlos Kaiser, who managed to blag a 26-year football career yeah. despite being terrible at football. What time is it, Kaiser? That was from <laughs> that, isn't it? <laughs> You're all these things and more, Dr. Tom. But right now, first and foremost, you, an Irishman, an Irishman who was at <laughs> Cardiff, the big game. I've just got my voice back. Fantastic evening there. Lots of Guinness. Brilliant away fans. And obviously the home fans were even better. They really took the defeat well. They bought us pints. They stayed out on Monday night. We had a great time. They gave you pints <laughs> and they gave you points as well. Exactly. The victory takes you through. How unexpected was the win? Extremely unexpected. I think it was a massive gamble to give Martin O'Neill the new contract the week before. But that obviously paid off in terms of motivation. Uh, the game plan, there was only one real chance in that whole game, which was created by pressure. Uh, great finish, but lacked a lot of quality. But it never really looked like Wales were actually going to score. So, And they needed the two goals. So, yeah, marching on to the playoffs. You, you, you speak a little bit dismissively of tactics, but I, I thought Ireland set up really well to take Joe Allen out of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was very, very physical, you're right. And... I don't know whether that was necessarily strategic, but I think it worked out well from an Irish perspective. Mm. All right. Well, I said 80% possession before he went off in that kind of <laughs> emerald sandwich. <laughs> uh, and uh, James McLean getting the goal. Great finish, right foot as well, which doesn't happen very often. And he obviously hit the corner. All right. Who do you want in the playoff draw, which comes up next Tuesday? We've had a lot of debate amongst this. Hmm. Uh, and personally, I'd like Switzerland. Oh, right. 
Um, a lot of people are talking about Denmark, but I think Denmark have a little bit too much creativity. Uh, just discussing to Jules about the fact that Ireland usually win by the odd goals, so you don't want a team that can go and, and score three or four because that'll be the end of it. Mm. Switzerland, the only team not to qualify automatically. With 27 points. I mean, they won nine straight going. Nine straight. And then that uh, defeat by Portugal. Good looking Portugal side, actually. Um, Italy, I believe, are in the playoff pot for for Irish hands to pull out. Yeah, and there's a lot of fear of of drawing um, Northern Ireland because, of course, the only time that Italy have not made a World Cup was in 1958 and they lost to Northern Ireland that time. So could history repeat itself? We'll have to find out when the draw is made. And we have a situation that, uh, with the seedings, that they haven't sold the World Cup rights in Italy yet. So obviously they're going to be seeded because they need to to generate revenue. Uh, Whereas in the case of the US, Fox Sports paid $425 million for the World Cup and had 350 hours allocated to show. So ironically, uh, Mexico might save them from that perspective. That's extraordinary. So basically, America paid up front and don't get to go to the World Cup, but you're suggesting FIFA will do everything possible to make sure Italy gets through because they haven't as yet sold the rights for the, the World Cup. Uh, suggesting that, yes. Wow, that, that's, that's remarkable. It's quite late, isn't it? Even for the Italians not to have worked out who's going to be showing next summer's tournament. Yeah, I imagine it'll be Sky Italia. Mm, all right. Um, well, congratulations to Ireland. Commiserations to Wales. Uh, Big story, I guess, alongside Ireland of the weekend was the fact that Argentina, after all that collective wailing and gnashing of teeth about prospect of a World Cup without Leo Messi, went and, and rocketed up the table. Where did they finish? Then was it fourth, third, third? third. Yeah. Third. Wow. Basically, they they and Chile swapped places. I think Argentina was sixth going into this. Chile were third, and poof, roles reversed. Mm. And suddenly, it all clicked into place. Did you stay up for the game, James? Uh, I did, yes. Yeah, um, it was just incredible. I mean, to see you know, Argentina go and play at that altitude against a side that I think they've only they've only won once in fifty six years against a go behind as they did um, so early. Um, it was, I think, very reminiscent of that. Um, well, Messi's performance was reminiscent of Ronaldo against Sweden. Yeah, it was that kind of right. Enough's enough, and uh, completely took the game over and. Um, yeah, I thought it was yeah interesting. Di Maria afterwards saying uh, the dwarf was fantastic. <laughs> so, um, but uh, but yeah, and uh, Sam Pauli making some curious comments afterwards, saying that um, football owes Messi a World Cup. Now, now, whether he means the trophy itself or or just owes him being at a tournament, I, mean, I don't know. To be but, fair, you know. anything he says after an evening like that, yeah. Yeah, he's just got to be. His celebrations were amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it was good to see him going crazy on the sidelines. But uh, yeah, South American qualifying again. Just you know, the number of plot lines um, uh, on that evening. You know, with the the Venezuelan camp having uh, prostitutes well, sort yeah. of sent in. So this is Rafael Dudamel <laughs> uh, denouncing that uh, Paraguayan girls of the night tried to. Uh, Basically debilitate his Venezuelan, but you know, put the Venus in, in Venezuela, as it were. Um, <laughs> and he praised their professionalism. Yeah, well, resisting. Venezuela, I have to tell you, did score, but they came last on the bottom of yeah. the group. Yeah. Oh, like, that doesn't. <laughs> but at least, no, right. According but, uh, to okay, at least according to Claudio Bravo's wife, the mm-hmm. Chilean players didn't need any girls sent oh. to the. You know, to the hotel. Yeah, I think they spent spent quite a lot of time partying party. before oh, okay. before the Brazil game. Jules, I want to ask you about Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Would 
they, they're a team with enormous pedigree. Recently, they've done very well without actually, you know, in competitions, without actually winning anything. But Sampaoli, with a little bit more time to, to, to whip them into shape, is this the team? Because somebody was asking us, who, who do we think is going to be dark horses of this World Cup? seems crazy to call Argentina a dark horse, but could they be? A major force the, next summer? Yeah, I think they're favourite to, to win it with Brazil and, and Germany and France probably. Mm. Spain. And Spain as well, yeah. Dark Horses are more, I don't know, a team like Belgium, for example. Because like mm-hmm. you said, with what Messi and Argentina have done, even if they haven't won anything, but two Copa Americas final, one World Cup final in a row, that's, you know, that's a lot of, okay, he couldn't deliver in the end, but it's still, a, you know, it's still, still amazing, mm. really, when you think about it. And we talked with James um, in the past how how important when Antonio Conte was with Italy oh, yeah. the four weeks prior to the Euros 2016 how important that was for him to implement the philosophy he wanted the team to play with especially with all the changes he made and the formation and the three at the back etc and for someone like Sampaoli who is a very demanding coach but also who is you know uses very complicated things in, in many ways mm. I think having the, you, your team usually when you were a head coach for a national team, you get the players on the Monday, you have Tuesday, they can't really train, Wednesday they train, yeah. Thursday they train, Friday you're already the day before the game usually, so you don't have time. So those four weeks prior to any big tournament right. would be huge for, for anyone, you know, but and especially from with ideas like Sampaoli, exactly, with a collection to be able of to work, talented. Exactly, to be able to work mm. on how you press all together or when you don't have the ball, what your fullbacks have to do, etc. Et and you can make the same argument, of course, for Martin O'Neill with, with, with the Republic of, <laughs> of Ireland. Uh, James, I know you want to tell us about um, the extraordinary events uh, elsewhere in the Central American oh. qualifying uh, group. A lot of people tweeting in, some not particularly pleasantly with comments for poor George Koreshi, who had told us that they were going to pretty much beat Trinidad and Tobago. To be yeah. fair, the US could have drawn that game. It turns out they could even have lost <laughs> that game against Trinidad and Tobago, and as long as there wasn't one specific combination of other results. But unfortunately, there was. Yeah. I think there's a 93% chance America had of, of, of coming through uh, and qualifying. And uh, and they blew it. And uh, they blew it against what the team that was bottom of the table, uh, a team that had lost six of their last six games. And, uh, and yeah, I, I, th- I think this, to be honest, is, is one of the great stories about World Cup qualifying. It's like Panama, team that's never been to the World Cup before, to do it in the circumstances in which they did. Um, with a ghost goal, with a team that I think had come close before. All of these players are like over 30. Mm. Um, so it, it's not like there's some kind of new generation coming through. It's a team that has tried and tried and failed and has now kind of succeeded. And just to see some of the scenes of that night where you see the ball boy yeah. uh, uh, rushing up and kicking the ball to, to, to help with the time wasting. You see the, the president of the country um, calling, uh, was it yesterday now, uh, a, a national holiday, signing a decree. Uh, it's magnificent. Yeah. So basically, America, uh, US lost against Trinidad and Tobago, and we should salute Alvin Jones, second goal in that game. Uh, just it was his first ever goal, I think, for mm. Trinidad and Tobago. Huge goal. Then Honduras uh, won three two against the already qualified Mexico, who I'm sure were really. Here's Grant Thomas saying USA's last chance of qualifying for the World Cup came down to a a Mexican free kick that's blocked by a wall. (laughs) Irony, Claxon. Amongst other people commenting, there was this, I've not been in better spirits, this is the happiest day of my life. Who said that? Jack Warner, the former (laughs) CONCACAF chief. Nice. And as you say, Panama going through, in the dying seconds scoring there, 
after that ghost call earlier. Not that anyone sounded that bothered about that. Pandemonium, or as Kaiser Soze tweeted in, Panamademonium. The Panamaniacs. What do we make of the uh, the Colombia Peru Falcao um, controversy, if you want, where you tell where you tell the other team, listen, all the other results are going our way. If we keep this game as a draw, one-one, which mm. it was at the time, we both go through. You will have to beat the New Zealanders, but when it's down to football and not rugby, it's okay. And we go through. Are you happy? We're happy. Everybody's happy. And then you stop it's playing. Yeah, exactly. Is, is it is it cheating? I think I've got nothing against it. Skills. You it know, happens. I've like well, it's game management. It could have been a bit more discreet, maybe because clearly the way they did it, it was like hey, his hand over his Sweden and Denmark. Yeah, but he went to see every single Peru player <laughs> individually. Say, hey, hey, listen, it's you know, it was maybe maybe Radamel should should be a bit more clever next time. Stuff he learned in France. What do you skills. think, Tom? I'm not sure. I think uh, that part of the world, obviously. Things like this happen all the time, and and obviously, you have potential issues with the likes of Unlike Honduras. Unlike in say Europe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> even the Nordic countries get involved, or Germany, or, <laughs> or Italy. <laughs> oh, don't! Ooh, but I'm actually, if you I mean, want to come back on this podcast, <laughs> the Italians are doing everything right. I think you're confusing this with another podcast. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give a Fal- I'm going to give Falcao a pass on this because, like. Falcao missed the last World Cup because he he suffered that dreadful injury, True. the knee injury, uh, what in January. Yeah. So he didn't get to go. And then again, David Ospina did try. He tried everything to stop Colombia going to the World Cup <laughs> yeah. in this like international fortnight. Uh, Arsenal fans, if they were watching this, they must be horrified by some of some, some of what um, some of the saves he wasn't making. Um, so you know, give Falcao to, to be fair, it wasn't the worst thing that we saw this weekend. I think that honour would have to go to Tim Cahill. Who, after securing Australia's passage with that was a 119th minute goal against a tremendously technically gifted Syria, then did that revolting kind of sponsored goal celebration. Yeah. Mm. But he does have can, that can incredible sp- record of, of 26 of his 50 international goals are headers. I mean, that's mm. pretty yeah, cool. more than 50 percent. He scored both. Were both of these yeah. headers? Yeah. 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 We should also salute Iron Robin. Quite touching scenes, really. No, I mean, he was a, a brave stab. At, at getting the uh, what was it seven goals that they needed Netherlands yeah. the other night, the second one, oh my goodness! We talked before about goals that you've not seen before. I'm not sure if I've ever seen anyone score a goal like that before. Well, just also the speed with and the power with which he hit that. Oh, could you describe it, James? Well, it it kind of I mean I don't the ball understand. comes in from the left and, it comes and he just in- meets it first time with this remarkable. It, it's just, it'd be hard enough to do with that much. Swaz mm. on a free kick if you'd actually set and prepared yourself and done your little stunts and breathing exercises, but he does. It's all almost that. like a penalty. Yeah, so, yeah, because he he waits for it to come in and he's got no kind. He doesn't run onto it or he doesn't. Yeah, it just comes straight in. He gets it out of his feet with just a complete. It's, and it's it's it's. it's I mean, the bend on that. Mm. I mean, it's like the tournoi Roberto Carlos. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway, that's the last we'll ever see of him yeah. on international football. He had a lovely line after this. He said, the glass man... Oh, lasted... a comment, right, thank yeah. goodness. Yeah, go on. <laughs> no. The glass man lasted longer than all the others. Because, you know, they always said he was, you know, he was too fragile, brick, right. and, you know... He outlasted some of the other players in his generation. We haven't mentioned anything about Iceland. Well, that's so true. We did speak to our friend Stefan on Monday, who assured us they were going through and that they wouldn't have a problem against Kosovo. Yes. And they didn't, and they're through. So consider that box ticked. Loads of other teams are through. I'm sure you've seen which ones are there. John, there's loads of questions about World Cup qualifiers, actually. We'll try and bang through some of these before we move on to club football, because it was... International football can be a bit... It's not always the most dramatic, but this weekend was a, a really vintage s- set of games. Uh, Ross, can the pod please discuss the Big Sam for Scotland suggestions doing the rounds? Have you heard about this, Big Sam, yeah, Scotland? Because his dad is Scottish, isn't he? Is that right? Yeah. I think it's a terrible idea. I Why mean, is who, it a terrible idea? Who would want to appoint Samuel Dice as a, as a country? Was was. I don't understand England? the. Well, <laughs> exactly. Sure, England George. made a big mistake. Thankfully, he like obviously blew it himself, and they were so happy to get rid of him. I just I I don't see the first club football. Maybe if you're towards the bottom of the table and you're like Crystal Palace, and you think okay, you know he can help us. But national team football, man, Scotland have I think a good generation. Do. I think George, coming if through. his name was Sam Aliadiais, something like no, that, you would be. He would be French. I'm not a big fan, and I don't. I think Scotland can do better than I, him. I disagree. I think, I think that that type of manager is actually better suited to international football because they can work with the sum of their parts, and it doesn't matter how bad you know a selection process or a team is available they can actually work with it whereas there's other types of managers that need to buy in the players that play the way that they want to play plus he's big sam and you know with the genetics <laughs> issue they have that would propagate. i think they've got an interesting squad not to win the world cup or euros but yeah. they, i think they've got an interesting squad that doesn't fit the kind of football he plays mm. colin williams not to ignore your point but Colin Williams says could his country possibly prize Sir Alex Ferguson out of retirement into a part-time job I don't know Colin but that's an interesting shout Lee Madden oh this was the question who are the dark horses for next year's World Cup we mentioned Argentina anybody else you want to throw in there Dr Tom the the one very left field one I'm going to say is Russia given the political connotations that you never know what will happen there and I actually have a sneaky punt on them at 50 Do to you? 1 to get how far to well each way yeah <laughs> oh what to be in the final well you look uh, you've all seen Icarus you've all seen mm. you know what happened you've all seen Sochi. South Korea in the South Korea Japan exactly exactly yeah. so uh, and there's a lot more influence in Russia than there was in South <laughs> Korea let's face it so yeah I, I don't want it to happen but I, could, I wouldn't be surprised if something like that did happen in this day and age Dr Tom so, I'm so far Dr Tom has yeah. clearly <laughs> doesn't like angered Robert. FIFA you know for not selling the rights to Italy first yeah. the Italians calling them cheaters mm-hmm. Now Russia saying that they completely, you know, but it's like... I'm going to ask oh, him about France next, Joe, yeah. so that's a little bit later on. I was there at that game and I'll never forgive I him. I was there too, but I don't know which game you're talking about. I was there too, I don't know which game you're talking about. Uh, David Clark, if one assembled a squad from all the players from countries who didn't qualify for the World Cup, how well do you think they would do in the World Cup? Well, I think brilliantly, because yeah. they'd be so motivated, no? Yeah. I mean, what a lineup! And a lot of news outlets and papers and stuff have, have actually put together... Um, 11s of players who won't be going. They really should do this. And in actual fact, ice hockey once again leads the way in this because um, who was who was pointing? Out? Oh yeah, Port of Brandon. I couldn't remember where it was. The 2016 Ice Hockey World Cup. They had a a best of 
uh, North America team and a best of Europe team of all the the players who were representing essentially countries that hadn't game. made it. Yeah, like an all-star game. Like an all-star, but wow. within the actual context yeah, okay. of the World Cup. Fantastic. That is cool. I like that. Yeah, get on that. FIFA. We've said a lot. Like, you know, you, it would be cool, for example, to take I don't know six leagues. Yeah. So the top five, the big fives, and maybe Portugal. You had Portugal, and you do their the their best eleven. So they're all star for each, and then you do like a little tournament, the six of them. And and see you know see who wins. Uh-huh. So you'll have the best Serie A, the best Liga, the best Premier League, blah blah blah, and then you see who would win, Jules. La Liga. Do you Liga, reckon? Liga, Liga would win. No, maybe okay, maybe La Liga. Touch some, what do you think? I think that's a great idea. I wouldn't be uh, give, giving that away publicly. You should go and speak to someone about yeah. that. <laughs> if only we had a f- football and finance expert yeah, right here that in the pod. Okay. Uh, Interestingly, Jules Joe has a, a question of a similar nature. He says, South American eleven against a European eleven. Who would win? I'm going to keep asking this until you've answered because it sparked a debate at my work. Right. Okay. I like this a lot. I like this a lot. Really? So we would have Messi and Neymar in the same team, for example, obviously. Well, Cavani. And Cavani as well, maybe, mm-hmm. or Suarez. So you can imagine Aguero, the MSN... They were just so reunited. <laughs> reunited. <laughs> and then you have... Um, I think probably defensive. I, I would go for Europe defensively, stronger than than the South American team. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I don't think defensively Argentina, even Brazil, especially in the fullback positions, mm. even Godin and Uruguay not defending the way they used to. Maybe so that point. But going forward, surely South America will be pretty pretty good. So there you go. There's your I go answer, for a draw four four. Four four. The draw, yeah. Okay, so nobody would win. <laughs> nobody would win. All right, then. James, you got something you want to throw in there, or shall I just move, move on. on? Move on. All right, move on we will then, because we've got loads more questions coming up later on in the show, but I just have to talk to you about Liverpool Man United, and we'll do that after this. Running a small business is hard. It can take weeks to set up a meeting with the bank, who will then charge all sorts of fees for their business services. But Tide is different. It's a new nimble banking service which will save small businesses like yours time and money. It takes just three minutes to get started with Tide and you'll get a UK sort code and account number and a company MasterCard. Tide also provides automated bookkeeping and an invoice assistant and it works seamlessly with all major accounting software like Xero, Sage and QuickBooks. So head to tide.co and enter the promo code TOTALLY to get six months of free money transfers. After that, your account becomes pay-as-you-go. There are no monthly fees ever. That's tide.co and the promo code TOTALLY. Tide, the current account your business deserves. Premier League. Club football's back. So it's that weird thing, isn't it? When when club football stops, you're like, oh. And then when it comes back in, you're so caught up in the other narrative that you're a little bit oh, as well. But luckily, Premier League returns, and indeed, leagues around Europe return with some really banging Huge fixtures. Games. Huge. Yeah, Italy's games this weekend. Oof. Ridiculous. Yeah, lovely uh, scheduling as well, so you can watch them all. Yeah. Watch them all. Fantastic. Well, we'll talk about, I yeah. mean, four of the top five, six of the top seven going against each other. But in the Premier League, the big story is Liverpool against Man United. And uh, sub-editors across the land typing out their no-money-mo-problems headlines after Sadio Mane, 89th minute of Senegal's game with Cape Verde, picks up a hamstring problem. Everybody knows that Liverpool struggle without him. What's it going to mean this time? 
It means that you move Coutinho a bit higher on the pitch, but we would have liked to see if Klopp would have had the the cojones to play the four of them together, Coutinho, Firmino, Mane and Salah. The problem for him, though, as well as, as the injury for Mane, is that mm-hmm. Firmino and Coutinho mm-hmm. have to travel back, well, are travelling back, as we're recording this, from South America, from Brazil, mm-hmm. all the way. And it always causes problems to everybody. I mean, Falcao can play with Monaco on Friday evening because he would only come back on, on Friday morning. Cavani might not play for PSG on Saturday. And it's, it would be the same for club. He would have to think, OK, they've travelled 15 hours and they've just arrived literally yesterday. Can they play tomorrow in such a big game? And I think if you've lost already money, you've got Firmino and Coutinho, who, like we said, spend so much time flying back. When do they get back? So I think they come back Thursday night or early Friday. Mm. Not ideal, is it, for for the early kickoff on, on Saturday? In tactical terms about how Klopp deals with Manny being out, when he went to the Africa Cup of Nations last year, they had one win in seven yeah. in all competitions, which, just as it happens, is their current record as well. But, of course, last year they didn't have the pace of Oxlade-Chamberlain to put into the side. <laughs> they do now. Surely this is the time to play that particular card. To unleash the ox. Unleash the ox. Isn't <laughs> well, that right? As we all know, that Liverpool have a very good record against the top teams, at least when they've got 11 men on the field. We saw them got taken apart by Man City despite starting that game well. But then again, United don't play like the other top teams, or at least haven't. How um, do Man United play? Because right now they are entertainers. Oh, they are entertainers. And they, they, yeah, it wouldn't... It would not be a surprise if they scored four <laughs> at the weekend. But uh, at the same time, uh, United, when they go into big games, and this is a test for Justin Mourinho as well, because this was one of the question marks about United last season, was how they do um, yeah, against top six. They seem to be very negative um, and um, didn't seem to have much of a game plan besides stopping their opponents playing. Mm. Now, obviously, that yeah, that's changed with the acquisitions uh, that they made in the summer and how they've been playing up until the, to now. But I don't think it'll change... Mourinho's approach going into this game. I think he'll want to he'll want to play like he did last year when they went to uh, went to Anfield and got uh, got a point. Um, they only had I think thirty four percent possession, which was the lowest I think um, of a United side um, mm. since Opta's records began, and just deny the, the the space in behind for 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 players like Salah. Liverpool are the team that have scored the most goals on the fast break um, this season. Um, but again, it, it, it will be, as Jules says, something where they'll probably have to look at Coutinho to, to be able to break this team down, not only with his passing, but also f- shooting from distance. Um, Does he do that much? <laughs> I've seen him do it quite a few times, yeah. But um, And United also, yeah, I mean, this it could, it could become quite a tight and cagey affair, this. I mm. mean, I remember, remember the build-up yeah, to Red this Monday. game, Red Monday, yeah. and it was, a, it was a dry nil-nil. It was the worst. Yeah. Because, sure, I mean, it wasn't the worst. It was kind of actually was be- the worst. Because game. neither side kind of wanted the ball, really, um, because obviously Liverpool don't want it because they want to counter on teams, and that was, that was United's approach. As well, so all right. Well, it's a United team that comes in without a key or well, two key players. Pogba was already injured. Now Fellaini picking up, uh, picking picking up a problem with uh, with Belgium. How does that impact Doctor Tom on Moose thinking? Uh, I don't think necessarily Fellaini would have started that game. Mm. I don't know what the other views are here, but uh, I think they've enough firepower, and obviously they've got a pretty tight defence as well. So Liverpool going forward, they're excellent. I think it could be 2-2, two, 3-3, two, three, three, that, that type of game. So, fingers crossed it isn't what you've described. <laughs> um, 
but it, it could be any score with with the way United are playing and the way Liverpool can potentially defend at mm. times. It literally could end up as anything. I really hope you're right. It does sound, <laughs> you know, it chillingly realistic that the scenario you you mm. outline there, the move who basically hasn't had a proper tough test yet yeah, in this Real season. Madrid. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You um, if you look at the the average, Football Three Six Five did the legwork here. They basically did a league table of the the average league position of your opponents, who's had the easiest and the the toughest fixtures. Toughest fixtures actually so far have been Everton and Crystal Palace, which maybe put mm. some perspective on the the tr- trouble they've been having. But by far the easiest set of fixtures have been Man United. So the odds on Mourinho just going. We'll get in, get out, and do a job. And which means it's been the easiest fixture for Romelu Lukaku as well. Wow. And the whole debate was: Can he do it in the big games? Mm. Will he do it in the Champions League? And even in the Champions League, they've you know they played easy teams really. So this is the one way we'll have to see. And again, like Dr. Tom said, it's against the Liverpool defense, not the strongest either. So he might well score, but I think the jury will still be out on him whether he can really deliver in those big games and, and lead the team yeah just one in his last seven games against Liverpool is that right yeah, yeah. but obviously he didn't have a good record at all with Everton yeah. you've got the Everton factor yeah, yeah as well mm. which obviously sure. mm. I don't know I, I don't know it's a, it's a game that could hold so many surprises Oxlane Chamberlain who's certainly fresh could be one of them <laughs> so uh, yeah well, well you mean as a crossed. starter you mean yeah I don't think it starts no? I think I think without money you go back to you almost go back to the to, to the Liverpool before Salah arrived, which but Salah will replace Mane, and you have Coutinho, right. Firmino, Salah, and then your midfield three with Henderson, Wijnaldum, and Chan, for example, if everybody's fit and if everybody's ready to play, and then that's pretty much your strongest eleven, considering Mane is not there. I don't think there's a room for Ox in there. Will it be a good game, Julian? No, I don't think so. I'm <laughs> sorry, Doctor Tom. I'm more in 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 Horny's camp. I think it will be the. Mourinho's pragmatism will come back for that kind of game to make sure they at least don't lose it. Mm. And they might nick a win, but uh, yeah, I think it'll be more KG than spectacular. On the occasion of Saturday's game, Liverpool will be renaming officially the centenary stand as the Kenny Dalglish stand, which is nice for King Kenny. Kenny. (laughs) (laughs) We like the the Dalglish family. We do. Uh, One component of which will be joining us on Monday. Good. More when we know more. I'm ruling out Paul though because he's and, in Canada, and the because uh, Kenny had Paul and two two daughters as well, and, and one of them lives in France. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. City can Paul clear at the top if Man United do drop points at Anfield. Dr. Tom City, Man City, are hosting Stoke. Ooh, Stoke held Man City to a nil nil at the Etihad last season. No Joe Allen perhaps for Stoke after your boys. That's your job. Yeah. Aguero's back in light training. Do you see much hope for Stoke in this? Are you that bothered? I don't see too much hope for Stoke. Okay. I spent quite a lot of time in Brazil, actually, when Gabriel Jesus came through, and he looks absolutely phenomenal. I think he could be potentially one of the world's best strikers. So even if Aguero is, you know... In light training, they don't need to risk them in a mm. game like this. So they seem to be cruising at the moment, City do. But 
the only hope for Stoke is that you have uh, a couple of defensive errors there which seem to be in City every so often. But Although they have kept a whole run of clean sheets, yeah. haven't they? Yeah. I suppose one other factor in this might be whether Pep Guardiola does one of his usual rejigs of the, of the starting lineup with a view to Napoli's visit on, what is that, Tuesday in the Champions League? Yeah, exciting wow. stuff. But um, yeah, the last time that Stoke went away and beat a team that was top of the table. Did I have hair? Was I think you probably did. It was April 1972, <laughs> James. And do you know who that was against? Manchester City. <gasps> no way! Oh, wow. Wow. An omen. There you go. Uh, okay. <laughs> did you, you did have hair then, didn't you? In 72? Yeah. Very much so. Do we expect at some point City to crumble like they did last season? So that incredible start and people were like, wow, they're going to finish unbeaten. They're so good. And then they crumbled. And he's been seven games in the league, mm. two in the Champions League, that's, that's nine, one in the League Cup, I guess, maybe. That's ten. It looks very, in many ways, you could think, okay, let's see if they crumble again like they did last season. Although Stop they look... saying crumble, Jules. You don't know what it's saying. <laughs> crumbling. It's no, crum- I know. It's all right, you're French, you don't understand. It's you don't like fruit and puddings, bizarrely. No, Otherwise, I, I would I've got bring an issue you an apple with, with British, crumble. Yeah, with British patisseries. All right, but to answer your, your question... Um, actually, I don't want to answer your question. No, Personally, I, mean, I don't think they're going to do that again. I think, this is a di- I think this is a different and do you know what? I remember team. We're not well, here to hear my opinion. Well, what, do you, what, what does Dr. Well, Tom also, and, also and James because think? I think City are defending much better than they did um, last year. Um, again, um, they've allowed their opponents only 45 shots, uh, which is the lowest in the league. Wow. Um, and yeah, this is, again, something that I don't think you associate. Only 25 of which have been from open play as well, which would suggest that maybe Stoke's best chance will come from a yeah, set piece se- of some yeah. sort. Last season but, was very similar. They were allowing not many shots, but Crowdjo Bravo was continuing to go at every shot well, Edison, he was facing. Can, can I just so, throw Edison. in a little stat S at this point? Which go is for it. When Football 365 did add up the average positions, mm. the team that had the second easiest run of fixture so far were yeah, City. Manchester City. But you know what? I remember speaking to Bakari Sanya at the end of the season, and I know it's a bit easy yeah. now with <laughs> a bit of a name dropping, but not nothing much. <laughs> I'm not crumbling, by the way. But no... And I know it's easy now, it's easy now, but he was, he was, he was talking about Pep and said, Pep is a genius, everything we do at training is exceptional. And was this the mic on? No, 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 but because he's 34. No, seriously, was this with the mic on or was he saying this off, off, off camera, as it were? No, no, off camera, yeah. Oh, yeah, so he genuinely feels that Pep's a, yeah, a genius. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's nice. But he was also saying, he was also saying that the moment they're going to click all together, so the moment they will all realise what they have to do, they will all do on the pitch what he asked them to do, the 11 that are going to play, mm-hmm they're going to be unstoppable. He says, if, if one day this mm. Manchester City team and whoever plays in it, so clearly he knew he was not going to be there, mm. if, they, if, if that 11 plays exactly the way he wants them to play and they do what he wants them to do, no one will stop them and they will score three or four goals every single match. So it's what we're saying. Uh, you know, let's wait do and see. Do you think they're going to crumble? No, I don't. Okay. And I think they're much. I think they're much stronger. And I think they've. I think he's clicked. And the, the left back position might be an issue at some point, mm-hmm. And they might need someone else than Fabian Delph to play there. Mm. Although Victor Moses at Chelsea last year. Yeah, true. Mm. And and I think Fabian Delph is a very is underrated in the way that he's far more intelligent than people believe so. So I think he can maybe do a job there. But Your if you want to win everything, you need I think a proper fullback there. Time will tell. Yeah, time will tell. Ian. Says, why does everyone focus on the Manchester clubs but ignore Spurs as serious challengers despite them being the best team over the last two seasons? Well, yeah, Ian, that's a good point. And they have Harry Kane, who is the best goal scorer in the world right now, would you say, Dr. Tom? 
I the most efficient Ke- striker in the world? Kane is, is unbelievable because his finishing is just so precise, but he doesn't seem to have, when you look at him, he doesn't have pace, he doesn't have necessarily have the physicality, he's not that good in the air. So you're sort of looking at him going, how is this happening? But he's just, you know, ruthless in terms of taking chances. He's worked on his pace. Jules, was it you telling the yeah. story of, of, of the way that he's worked on his pace, though? The and his explosivity. That's it. And I think that's... Because I think you can't... If you're not born with pace, you can't suddenly run the 100 metres from 15 seconds to 10. That's impossible. What you can gain, though... Unless is, you're born in Russia, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> and you take some, you know, like, special cakes. It's a big season. But, but though, it's isn't the it? first two yards where you can improve and that explosivity, as you said, and he's done that, yeah. Right. You could see, you could Sorry, see anyway. It's a big season for Spurs. Obviously, it's it's make or break because I think some of the bigger players, if, if they don't do anything this year, and it's difficult in Wembley as well, that they are going to move on. They've done brilliantly to hold on to like the likes of Lloris. You see Real Madrid potentially knocking on the door for Kane. Although that deal that was suggested yeah. was absolutely ridiculous. You, if, even Daniel Levy would have been laughing if you're getting offered Modric, Benzema, and uh, was it, what was the deal? The other one, <laughs> Modric, Benzema, and Bale, and Bale for what? Harry Kane. Well, and this Dele was Ali? this was tabloid. This was tabloid talk. It was yeah. just for Kane. That oh, was right. that was in the papers yesterday, wow. and that cannot be true. Doctor Tom, how much impact does the new stadium have on the way Spurs are operating, or is this just normal business policy for them? Uh, f- f- it's it's fairly close to normal business. In terms of, they obviously have to pay rent now that they go to to Wembley, but they do get extra ticket revenue, so they they probably are making a little bit more out of being in the new stadium. Mm. But when they move into their new stadium, that will have a significant effect because I think it's been designed. Match day, they might be making the guts of on average four million pounds a match day, whereas at White Hart Lane, they were probably making two and a half. All right. So if they can get through this period, do you think they will loosen the purse strings vis-a-vis salaries? Potentially. I think salaries that Spurs have always been quite tight. I think Daniel Levy has been absolutely brilliant in terms of how he's managed the finances at that club and he's always been able to squeeze every last penny out of out of players when they leave. You know, you look at the Berbatovs, you look at the Modriches when they left. The club were were in a very poor position, but they still managed to get every last penny. A little bit like the Leon situation. Yeah. Uh so I, I think Levy will be cleverer and ultimately they will spend a little bit more money but they need to build on what they've created now they are they have created momentum and they need to just keep keep moving in the right direction mm. Harry Kane's yet to score at Wembley in the league although obviously he did for England the other day Spurs facing Bournemouth at Wembley Saturday at 3 o'clock uh, Bournemouth with just one win so far and apparently Josh King's injured oh. and Defoe uh, his worst record against any club is against his former club Spurs no. Yeah, so there you go. Bournemouth, right. I don't think, have ever beaten Spurs in the league. I think they've only beaten them once in their history, which was in back in the 50s in the FA Cup. So right. they, maybe they, Spurs will get their first league win in, in the... Uh, they also lost for like 5-1, 4-0 and 4-0 or something like that, Bournemouth, yeah, in the last two or three seasons. I mm. think they had one draw nil-nil where Spurs had loads of chances, couldn't score, but then the other time they were battered. Kane has scored six goals in three games. Thanks, producer Ben. Uh, six goals in three, that was, against the Cherries. Yeah. That's a lot of goals. How about this for a scary run of fixtures? Real Madrid away, Liverpool at home, West Ham at home, Man United away, Real Madrid at home. That's what it, Spurs have coming up. 
Yeah, and that's why that's why you want you're there. That's why you're there for. That's why you you know you want to be able to test yourself against those big clubs. Mm. Otherwise, there's, there's no point. And I think if you're Hurricane and Dele Ali and Christian Eriksen, you want to play those matches. You want to go to the Bernabeu and compete, not get beaten two or three nil or four nil or something like that. And that's why you see great teams. And Doctor Tom is right. It's it's great to win. You know the the games they've won and they've played really well. They've dropped points in a silly way against Burnley at home. That nil nil. They had it against Swansea, you know? But that, like you said, the next, what, three weeks, we'll see what they're really made of. Mm, I guess we will. Um, your doctorate, doctor, so where, where did you take that? I did it in Henley Business School. Oh, right, OK. And is, are they pioneers in the field of football finance as a doctorate? Uh, no, they do a lot of finance-related research. So I actually did the MBA in football industries at the University of Liverpool. OK. And then I got offered a, a scholarship there to oh. do to do that afterwards. Yeah. But did you? What was your thesis? Did you have to do a thesis, right, for a It was uh, three, three research papers. So they focused on how to value a football club that you mentioned earlier on. Right. Uh, it fo- the other one focused on managerial performance and evaluating that versus the actual resources that you had at a club. Right. And the other one uh, focused on uh, the club valuation versus who you had at the helm. So obviously, what? How much a manager impacts on how much money the value your club of the club. Is worth. So and that was tested in real life with Manchester United and David Moyes because obviously. They were listed on the stock exchange, and you could see how far they were going down in in the Moyes era. So that that was tested, and and obviously came out uh, came out the right way. Right, but you've also, I mean, part of that was studying when's the best time to get rid of a football manager. Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll ask you a little bit more about that very shortly. Right now, though, a little bit of this. Hey, listeners, if you haven't heard the latest edition of the Totally Football League show yet then you won't have heard Chris Powell, the nicest man in football, talk about his time as a player and a manager at Derby, give his thoughts on whether he'll one day return to Charlton and share his recollections about his manager at England and Leicester, Mr Sven Euren Eriksson. When he was manager of, of Leicester, I walked into his office one morning and uh, he looked at me, he was on the phone, he was speaking in English and he gestured at me, one minute, one minute. So he finished the conversation. As he put that phone down... There was another ring. He picked up another phone and he looked at me again and said, one minute. He started speaking in Swedish. Fine. Put it down again. Another phone rung. And I realised he had something like five phones on his desk. See. But each one was for different countries. So in the <laughs> time I was in countries? there... Was oh, it different <laughs> it was because then he picked up another one. <laughs> Steady. <laughs> and uh, he spoke in Italian. He spoke in Portuguese. And I sat there and I just thought... How good is that? I mean, how many managers, how many managers will speak five languages in the space of 10, 15 minutes? More of that, more of that in the Totally Football League show, which is available every Tuesday on Audio Boom, iTunes, or basically wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want questions or a little bit more Premier League, Mr. Jules? I want both. Can we have both? Ah, well, right, both. Let's have a question before we get on to the excitement and raw drama that is Crystal Palace Chelsea. <laughs> Big Nick, who has the biggest feet in the Premier League? Oh, I think... Ibra? No, I would say... Fraser Forrester, possibly. Yeah, 6'6", isn't it? It's a big-boned fellow, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I would would have said Peter Crouch 
No, I don't know about yeah. that. Because I, I think that Peter Crouch, the way that you know his bone structure, he's been stretched out as opposed to just being all round bigger. He's so, I, I like Fraser Forster on that. He's got that, that extraordinary overdeveloped bone structure. That, mm. uh, I believe. Uh, Podsy, a question for the doctor. That's you. Uh, yeah, in the world of free spending and exorbitant transfer fees, who are the best run clubs in Europe? Now, Dr. Tom, I think you could probably spend at least an hour talking about this. So, can you just give us the you know bullet points? Yeah, I think it's a great question. Uh, for me, we mentioned Spurs earlier on. I think they're very well run. I think Lille in in, in France are excellent in terms of. I think the analysis, I, the last analysis I did there. In eight transfer windows, they had made an average of nearly 18 million euro in every transfer window. Southampton is an, an obvious one as well, that they've been brilliant in terms of the way they've been able to turn over players, turn over managers and sustain their performance. Celtic are uh, are very frugal but well run and when they get into the Champions League they do very well. So I could continue on. No, who are the worst run then? Come on. <laughs> well... Of the big clubs? Of the big clubs, that's a very difficult question. And you're, you're probably you're putting me out of work if I start yeah, saying things enemies. like that. From my debut here, I've probably created enough yeah. enemies for one day. Uh, we can talk about that off air. Yeah. <laughs> Disappointed. Dr. Sporting, Sporting Lisbon's president has an idea. Ah, yes. <laughs> I'm, sure a few, I'm sure a few Italians as well. Interesting point. He mentioned Southampton, Dr. Tom. They're taking on Newcastle. You, you've just helped usher in a brave new era at St Mary's with the uh, uh, unusually enough Chinese takeover <laughs> of the club. How is it working out and why, why did they want Southampton? They wanted Southampton mainly because of the brand of developing players. So they've obviously produced so many good players in, in the Premier League. So I think they want to roll out a, the Southampton brand of soccer schools all over China. Really? So, so that's part of the logic here. So the notion of Southampton being a good development school is sufficiently widespread in the world that you could actually market that. Well, that, that's their logic. And I've seen the, the planning documents and they look, they look very good and solid. Um, they obviously want to bring the club to the next level as well. So I think they will... They'll be putting in sustainable investment in, into the club. OK. Well, that's a relief. Uh, on Monday, we had a great tweet from Guy Lewis who said, an imaginary billionaire consults you. Of course, in this, in your case, this is probably not imaginary at all. <laughs> but anyway, a, a billionaire consults you about buying an English and a continental sleeping giant. Which clubs do you recommend and why? I know a couple of the guys said Newcastle. And yes. I completely agree with that. I think Newcastle are the club in the Premier League that have the potential to be a Champions League club every year mm. if you get it right. So you're getting 40-plus thousand every week there. Um, and we've seen it in the past for a little while in the Keegan era, but I, I think if if you were to nail that, they were the club who, who could do the best. Now, there's a lot of talk about something being in the offing for Newcastle. How far are they away from actually starting a new project themselves? I think they're quite close. Um, like weeks or months? No, or? Uh, a deal like How? this, particularly hmm. the one, the the one thing that w that we need to to realise here is that obviously the brakes have been put on investment in football externally and internally to some oh, extent by in, China. in China. So is that who's interested? So uh, they're the ones that are always sniffing around at hmm. the moment. It was a little bit like. Early 2000s, it would be Russians. Mid-2000s, it was Middle East. And now we're in the Chinese phase. Um, 
but in in terms of who's interested, I think a lot of people have to wait for the 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 actual uh, Communist Party conference, which is on the eighteenth of October. Oh, and next they, Wednesday, exactly. So that's on. This is a five year one, so it's a big one, and that will lay out what the strategic plan is for Chinese investments, both internally and externally. So a lot of the people that are interested in the likes of Newcastle and and some other clubs. Uh, have to wait and see whether mm. whether they'll get the permission or not. And obviously, a club that's close to you, AC Milan, are on the other side of that, where they're now at the uh, you know at the mercy of of the Chinese authorities. So hopefully that will that won't work out in in a bad way for the club. But right. it doesn't look great. I've got a question for Dr. Tom. How long, for example, does it take for the takeover of Southampton from? The beginning where you were involved to the completion of it is so, that Southampton wasn't your standard takeover. That right. that took longer than than a normal takeover would. So that took about fifteen months. Okay. But I've seen takeovers happen in as quick as you know six to eight weeks. Really, it depends. And Southampton's quite a clean club as well. But that that was to do with issues over holding companies, etc. Yeah, um, is Milan the longest takeover you've ever seen? <laughs> How many years was that? Yeah, the Berlusconi sale of the well, club. <sighs> with the the current owner, it was uh, it was a period of eighteen months. Right. Okay. Uh, well, you know what? Saints are taking on Newcastle this weekend. Uh, Shelby's in doubt after taking a knock to the head in training. Not sure if that was uh, Rafa Benitez trying to reboot him. Quite or something, an interesting but... narrative in this game, and that's the the master against the apprentice. Ooh. In that, it's uh, Benitez coming up against yeah. Mauricio Pellegrino, mm. who of mm. course was. A former player of his and, and once on his staff as well. Very nice. I'd completely missed that, yeah. James. Yeah. There you go. Other Premier League games this weekend include that fascinating clash at Selhurst Park on Saturday afternoon as a sort of phantom football outfit Crystal Palace try and leave <laughs> some form of tangible mark in the world of the living, yeah. a goal, a point, something like something. that, against Chelsea. I, just, I did mention before that Crystal Palace with Everton have had the toughest fixtures so far. Would it have made any difference if they'd had easier fixtures? Well, yeah, surely. But you can't come back in the past anyway, so there's, there's no, no point. Okay. Just, no, but they, they need to wait. After this game, it's getting easier, so we'll see. But you don't see any improvement. Even in big games, you could see you, you can see improvements in teams, and you've seen in the past, but not with them. So mm. you change managers... Nothing, no changes, no improvement. Actually, it's getting nothing. worse. In, in terms of getting worse, yeah. goals conceded, it's almost twice under Roy Hodgson what it was under Frank de Boer. Hey, a Palace getting taken over, Dr. Tom? Not that I'm aware of. But they just had a whole load of new investment come in from China, didn't they? Well, it's Palace is a funny one because the two guys who, who obviously bought in there, um, from they run an, a, a venture capitalist fund called Apollo, it looked like they were buying to sell in a few years. So I'd say they're getting a little bit jittery with the start here because, you know, if you go down, the value of that club is probably going to go down by 100, 120 million at least. Yeah. The same we saw at Hull, where, you know, there's so much interest there in the yeah. takeover and it didn't get done. They've gone down. It's gone. Sunderland also. We did have a, a question, which I'm not sure who sent it in, but a great question. Anyway, saying, who do you think are the next big club in Europe who are going to basically do a Hull or a Leeds or so, just crash through the divisions? It's it's a very difficult one. Who's teetering on the brink financially? At, at the moment, it's AC Milan hmm. because the future is so uncertain. And, you know, the purists, no one wants to see that, a name like that. But that, that looks like could be the club that, that it could happen to. Wow. All right. We'll talk a little bit more about Italy later on. 
Uh, going to fly through some more exciting-looking Premier League fixtures. Arsenal, after their unbeaten September, in which they didn't concede a single goal in the league. Is that right, Julian? That's right, indeed. They're yeah. going to be travelling north. They've always won at Watford. Always. To Watford, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, if Walter Mazzali can out-coach Arsene Wenger, I mean, Marcus Silva... 2-1. No, no problem. 2-1 they won yeah. when they last met, and that was at the Emirates. Yeah. Yeah, so what, how much, is this where Arsenal's rebirth is going to come crashing to the ground? What? Uh, how many times have Arsenal scored on the road this season? I think they've struggled, haven't they? They've struggled a bit, yeah. And, and, and Silva, aside from that game against City, where City, come on, I mean, um, one of the best attacking sides not only in, in the country but in, in, in Europe, um, have been very good at the back and uh, find themselves only a point behind Arsenal in the league table. Watford's best start ever in the Premier League. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think this could be... I, I don't want to say a trap game for Arsenal because almost every game is a kind of trap game for Arsenal. Oh. Where they, but, you know, I, I could see Watford winning this. And Mustafi yeah. is not going to be uh, available. Uh, Koscielny, uh, Ozil, presumably out as well. Danny Warbeck should be back. And Alexis has the same issue as all the South Americans. Of the long back, journey back. Yeah. Yeah. Also, his state of mind. After. Yeah, as we said, he's great 2017 years so far. Yeah. What about Callum Chambers signing the new deal, which is a bit of an odd one given that he hasn't featured or. It's only to sell him better, no? Surely. Potentially, they're yeah. probably learning from their mistakes yeah, in the past. Exactly. Mm. That's the one to sign to a new deal, not to say Sanchez or Ozil. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> okay. Well, it looks like Ozil is going to stay as well. That's the, the latest that I don't think anyone else is prepared well, United, to match his money. United, I think. What? Man United in yeah. for Ozil? Yeah. Because really? Jose yeah. loves him. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, Jose loved him at Real Madrid. Yeah, I did, my yeah. Real, yeah. But I mean, you, you wonder where he would fit in there, particularly when you look at, you know, it's it's usually either or between Martial and Rashford. You know, it's, it's the, they don't often play together. No, but if so, you play 4-2-3-1 and you play Mkhitaryan behind yeah. Lukaku, you can play Ozil behind Lukaku as well. Or you could do that thing that a lot of managers are doing now where you convert him into a wing-back. Would that work out well? <laughs> I'm sure, he runs so, <laughs> so much and so freely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, he actually covers more ground than everyone else. Yeah, Remember, that's, that's, that's the, that's the often, counter argument. Often what? for nothing. Well, in terms of distance covered, Ozil's often at the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. But he just doesn't put his foot anywhere. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. He covers a lot of ground, which, you right. know, I'm just letting that sink in. <laughs> okay. Um, Jules, you reject James's notion that this is going to be a difficult, potentially damaging fixture for Arsenal. No, no, I think it will be tricky. Oh, yeah. I think they, they, they have a great record over there, mm. but I think it will be tricky because I think Marco Silva is a, is, a, is a wonderful manager as well and tactically he might well come up with a plan that will completely undo Arsene Wenger. What Wenger's would a plan that plan would undo Arsene Wenger look like? Well, if Arsene Wenger had a plan first, yes. it would be harder to find a plan to counter it because mm. Arsene Wenger has had the same plan for 20 years. So if you were facing, if you were Marco Silva this week, what would you do? I would. So it's interesting because Mazzari used to change a lot the system over there. I think they had 11 different systems in the whole year, which is crazy. Like, come on, it's crazy. Silva has brought a bit more stability tactically, I think, whether they've played 4 2 3 1 or against Swansea, he changed at half time, which was great, I think, from what he did from the 4 3 3, I think, to 3 at the back. Mm-hmm. I, I would play 3 at the back against Arsenal and I would make sure that in midfield, especially with. Chaka and Ramsey, neither of them really defensive-minded enough, I think, to protect the back three. That I would have a lot of people there to exploit that weakness. Oh. Silva's probably got his eyes on Arsenal's job as well. Yeah. Kapu, or Kapu seems to have... Kapu, get, please. He, he, no, you, Dr. Tom. 
Not you. Kaput. I stand corrected. Thank you. Seems to have the game of his life every time he plays Arsenal. Is that right? Ducouré is doing well as well. Interesting. Ducouré is doing well. It's true. And so is Richarlison, who has scored 90th minute goals in the last two games, earning the Hornets four points. Also, on the subject of London clubs heading north, you've got West Ham going a little bit further up to Burnley. Burnley are all the way up, by the way, in sixth. They could end this weekend in third place in the league. They're unbeaten in four Premier League games for the first time in almost three years. West Ham, their stats are also suggesting that they're improving. Is that just numbers being numbers? or Is there something going on there? Is there something we can build on? And Dr Tom, I was mentioning before your studies into what is the optimum time to get uh, rid of a, a manager is for West Ham as soon as you can with Slavin Bilic. Well, we haven't run the numbers, but it looks like the writing could be on the wall there. If the, if if he doesn't turn it around very quickly, you just need to give a manager as much time as possible in the Premier League to you get do. to get you to that forty points. I think on you know conversely, you look at Burnley and the job that Sean Dyche has done there. Incredible, absolutely. Mm. I don't think they've got the plaudits that they deserved for the position that they're in now. You know, to have twelve points at this stage of the season is just incredible for Burnley. Yeah, especially given their fixtures. I mean, look at the clubs yeah. they've had to go and play against. Uh, so, in terms of the optimum time, I mean, was there an, a specific? Is there a day of the month that's auspicious or, or what? It, it's not quite as simple as that. Uh. You, it, it's a bootstrapping model where you have to run different circumstances thousands of times. So it's it, it takes about 24 hours to run the system. I'm actually working on updating it with my uh, PhD supervisors All right, at the let moment. Us know. Yeah, so but were you, you West Ham, would you have waited this long with Slavon Bilic? The thing about Bilic is he is a motivator and he's a proud guy mm. and he, he's the type of person who, who would want to turn it around. So I can understand why they've held on, but I'm sure there is a deadline there internally at, at the club. And, you know, you look at Jack Sullivan's tweets and other signals from the club, it doesn't look great for him. But, you know, it wouldn't it actually wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if he did manage to turn it around because mm. he's that type of guy. But I'd say he doesn't have a lot of time to turn it around. Fair they're, enough. They're in for Marshall Sarri as well, so... Why wouldn't you sack Billy if you can get Sari? Can they get Sari? No way. I don't know what the guy who wrote that, whatever tabloid he well, was. You just like, repeated it to our poor listeners. No, no, but to, no, but to, to make fun of whoever oh, that I was. See. I'm but sorry. who in his. You know, uh, it's not that outlandish. Successful foreign manager from a league no, which financially no, no. can't compete with the money in the Premier League could be tempted away. I just, no I mean, I'm way. sure, James, you would say that in this case, no Sari's got something else beyond money that he's earning at, at, at Napoli. Yeah, like uh, like winning the league for the first time since 1990. We so, not, ejecting when, when you believe that you can do that. And also be. the perfect laboratory with which to perfect his, 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 his tactics. Mm, exactly. Yeah. With, with, no, I mean, no offence to West Ham, but we're talking about the the, probably the best manager in Europe. I love senses to begin with. No, 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 but we're talking about the best manager in, in yeah. Europe right now. Yeah. Probably even better than Pep, considering what he's Would doing. Would you say so? Yeah. What Cons- do you think he's got over Pep? Not 300 million spent in the summer. That's a good answer. That's a good I answer. Like that answer. <laughs> just, just starting with that. Point well made. And like, why, you know, wow. why, and, and who thought, yeah. So how exciting is Tuesday's clash of the Pep against the Maurizio? I think it's amazing. Mm. I just wow. think it's amazing. I know we have... You and I, James, and, and Jim as well, we're doing a great show on television, but if if, the if there was show. one time the goal show. if there was one time yeah. where I would watch a game and not you know be with you guys on that show would be not that be a one. PSG game. And not be a PSG game because every <laughs> PSG game is amazing, obviously. It would be this one. All and right. the second leg, because I do think obviously the, the, the one 
at the Sao Paulo will be even better, you know, on Napoli, on Napoli's point of view and Sarri's point of view because you don't play the same, although he seems to be playing the same away and at home, but the two, the two clashes will be great. Listeners, if you want your face to be as smooth as the sounds here at our new home, Jazz FM, then you need to noodle on to cornerstone.co.uk pronto. Cornerstone, take all the hassle out of shaving. Let them know how often you defuzz and sign up to one of their plans and you'll never have to worry about running out of blades ever again. They'll deliver them right to your door. To get you started, head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and you'll receive a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades for just £4. That's cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Nice. Still to come in this cornucopia-esque totally football show, we've got, uh, James, you're talking about Italy, just talking about France, more questions probably, other stuff. Swansea are taking on Huddersfield this weekend. Swansea haven't won in four. What is Claude McAlealy actually doing there, Jules? Ask producer Ben. He, he's, he's doing a good job. Is he? He's, yeah, he's Paul Clements' assistant, mm-hmm. obviously. They worked together uh, before at PSG. And especially last season, I think he had a really big impact defensively on the way the team shaped up. Which and has turned around. When you look at stats, yeah. there's one thing that leaps out. They Definitely. And I think for that, he deserves a lot of credit. And this season... I think they expected it to be quite tough again. You know, why why not? Despite despite spending a fairly good amount of money in the summer for some players, uh, maybe they're not the right players, but that's another debate. But I think, yeah, I think he's he's probably not good enough to be a, a manager, as in a first team manager, like he he tried in France in Bastia was a disaster. He's probably very good uh, as an assistant to someone because of the knowledge he has that position that was his position especially in midfield but also the charisma he has for especially younger players but you know all that experience he can give is I think he would be yeah he would be very very good in the staff anyways attacking coach because what the, the three Premier League players who've had more shots on target than Swansea had as a team <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah anyway so Swansea taking on Huddersfield that's Saturday at three o'clock uh, Sunday the early game is Brighton against Everton uh, neither team doing particularly well at the moment they're both on seven points just a couple above uh, the bottom three Brighton are going to be without David Proper who picked up an injury on Holland due to Toma Hedemed is suspended Everton their run of tricky fixtures arguably easing up a little bit with this. We'll see if their performances improve, I guess. Leicester, meanwhile, taking on West Brom. That's the Monday evening game. Oh, West Brom are another team that you've helped with the Chinese takeover, Dr. Tom. Correct. It's what do you, you want do. me to elaborate on I that? Don't, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, why West Brom? That's not the most obvious of choices. It was a strange one, all right. That They'd identified, they'd done their research, and they said, OK, this is the club we want to go for. Because Southampton have the youth academy business. What did West Brom bring to the, the table? The one thing that West Brom had, and, and you're laughing, but they did have something that was quite unique. They were the only smaller team in the Premier League, well, outside of the big six, that consistently made money. Mm-hmm. So Jeremy Peace had a had a very very you know sustainable model in place. So so I think that was part of the rationale. And this was before the new TV deal kicked in, where mm. you know most clubs should be able to make money. Okay, Leicester have had their appeal to register Adrian Silva rejected. So I know rules are rules, but 
I just find that really disappointing, just on a human level. You know, just be human about it. There's a guy sitting in the stands. They missed it by 14 seconds. Come on, lighten up, FIFA. Let him play. <laughs> um, a quick question from producer Ben again, Dr Tom. Are Wolves actually going to be the top team in the Midlands in the next few years? They look to be, obviously, on the march at the moment. The the, the links to uh, to some of Europe's biggest agents isn't necessarily going to hinder their... Uh, their acquisition of players so it wouldn't necessarily surprise me but it looks like Villa with the squad that they have as well mm. are they're moving in the right direction now so they do have the most potential with the history and the size of the club to be to be the biggest club there consistently still all right Dr Tom in league news because Ligue 1 returns hey, yes big game Lyon taking on Monaco but you're saying that uh, Falcao can't take part in that no Falcao no uh, Jovetic being injured with Montenegro as well which is a huge blow for them so it'll be a very weekend Monaco side on Friday night they play Friday because obviously then they wanted the, the extra day race for the Champions League next week where they're already in trouble after mm. Uh, you know, losing one and drawing one. So it's a huge game for them. They're second behind PSG, but three points behind. So in case of a, of a loss, yeah. again, and PSG winning, you could have a, a, a quite significant gap already. And then for Lyon, they're only eighth in the table. Bruno Genesio, the manager, under big pressure. He basically has six games to save his job, four in the league, two in the Europa League, where they play Everton, home and away, in the Europa League uh, next week and then two weeks after that. And it's that or he's out... Because I, I personally, I think Genesio. I, t- I know I talked about Deschamps, but Genesio is even worse than loads of managers in France. I think he's dire. What do you think about the exciting young manager who's got uh, Nantes into fourth place? <laughs> you, you know, you know what I like about Ranieri. Claudio Ranieri, for he's boring and he's defensive. No, but and he's I don't not like boring. Him. His football he, might be, but he's yeah. not. But what I, you know, he saw that squad and said, "Okay, there's not much I can do with that squad." In fairness to him, he's mm. right. Okay, I'm going to basically make them super good defensively. Mm. We're not going to lose the matches. We Give us the draw. quote, George. And the quote is amazing. It is, you have to lock the door of the house. If you don't, yep. the burglars come in and steal everything. Once you've locked the door, you can start decorating and organising it like you want. All right. He's big on domestic kind of on house-based metaphors, uh, I think, isn't he, Claudio Ranieri? That's uh, Trapattoni-esque, almost. Yeah. I like well, that. you think? I mean, he moves his house. He moves house a lot. That's true. Actually, he would know. Yeah, he would. He know. would know. All right. Is that sustainable? Them being up in fourth place, not. Not in fourth place, but if they keep. So no. No, not in fourth place. Yeah. Okay. Because I think there's a point where defensively you can't you can't spend your whole season defending. It's going to crumble. You're going to crumble. <laughs> but you know it's going to work. It's right. going to work. They're going to have a good season. What's your favourite crumble, James? Tom, are you a crumble fan? I quite like a rhubarb. Oh, hey, Tom, rhubarb. Yes. My dad grows okay. My dad Depends grows what rhubarb. you accompany her with, it, well, I, I would say. I mean, I like rhubarb, but only with things. Whereas a blackberry and apple crumble, you could have a la mode or just on its own. An in the underrated crumble would be the gooseberry crumble. Well. Right. That's if listeners right. have crumble so recipes, bad. send them in because yeah. it's... It's the kind of it's the kind of time of year cream or custard is pretty spent. I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I cheat a little bit. I go ice cream. Um, of, all, but, of all your weird cakes yeah, that you what? have in this country, you know you know what I mean. The apple crumble is my favourite. Oh, asparagus crumble. That's the only one. But anyway, yeah, it's that time of year when a young man's thoughts turn to crumble. So if you have any great recipes, do let us know. Because I learned a lot about poached eggs in the past from listeners in a previous life. Maybe we can push the boundaries of crumble in a similar fashion, Tom. A lot of people have spent a lot of time this season going, Paris Saint-Germain, 
bought Neymar and then they I kind of bought Mbappe. But 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 financial fair play. In two minutes, can you explain why PSG are able to do this when it seems to be defying all the laws of FFP? Uh, well, probably not actually. But oh. it historically, I did write quite a lot of financial fair play reports: AC Milan, Barcelona, Manchester City. I'm looking at this thinking, how are they going to get around this? So you have to be a bit of a kind of financial lawyer. It looks like, on the surface of it, that they have, obviously, some sponsorship deals that are that are covering all of this. The interesting thing as well is that, obviously, being sports, own the rights to the globally to the French League. And from what I've been told, a lot of nations passed on those rights. And then, all of a sudden, Neymar appeared, and a lot of people wanted those rights straight yeah. away. So... That, from a commercial perspective, that's actually worked out well. And uh, they're all Qatari-based companies. So I can't explain how they think they're going to get around the regs because the regs as I know them, I don't think they would be able to. I know that UEFA are investigating them at the moment along with two other clubs. Which uh, are the two clubs? Good question. I was trying to work that out. Where I, I had a chat with someone from UEFA last yeah, week. I was, yeah. yeah, I think it is. I think it could be both Milanese clubs. Mm. So that because I, I think City have their their house in order in terms of how they set up City City Football Group and and how everything works. So that that was my guess, but again, that's unconfirmed. Yeah, I'm just looking at the um, sale of um, the TV rights abroad from Liga. And apparently the deal that they did was 2018 to 2024 was only 80 million euro, which is, I think, yeah. is a year, but is, is, is nothing compared, certainly, with the Premier League and, and La Liga. Yeah. yeah. Even with Neymar signing. And PSG had a meeting this week with the UEFA about financial fair play. First hearing. Interesting. Interesting. Could be trouble ahead there, although there is the point by which oh, the, the, you do reach a point by which the club is so big, it's such a big draw, it's so fundamental to the way you're selling and marketing your football that you cannot afford to take action against them, which is maybe what yeah, I like with PSG. PSG. That's a very good point. I think PSG are obviously in a position now to to compete and could win the Champions League with the right draw and the players that they have. And maybe they're hoping that UEFA turn around and say, we can't kick out the champions here because we've got some of the biggest names in world football, so we'll just slap them on the wrist. As much as I would love that to be true, I think that the other clubs are not happy. And I think that the likes of Bayern Munich and Juve would also put pressure on UEFA to say, look, what they've done, you can't let that go. Juve, who you'll be able to see on Netflix in 2018. Oh, in the kind of behind-the-scenes being Juventus. Being Juventus. Juve have got a huge game coming up this weekend, but then everybody at the top end of Serie A has a huge game coming up this weekend. There are some big games around Europe. Talk about the French ones. You've got Atletico Madrid to go in Barcelona. That's Saturday evening in Spain. In Germany, Dortmund taking on Leipzig. That's earlier that day. That should be a really big game as well. Big injury problems for, for Dortmund going into that, but they are top of the table. But why... James, should people not watch Atletico Madrid taking on Barcelona and instead tune into league-leading Napoli with their incredible average of 3.11 goals scored per game visiting Roma? Yeah, Napoli scoring more goals per game than any other team in Europe's top five leagues, more than um, Messi's Barcelona, more than 
Neymar's PSG. Mm. And, uh, More than Mourinho's uh, exactly. Man United. Yeah, even them. And uh, just a joy to watch. And I think, again, uh, there is a, a, a will, I think, um, on at least the neutrals part and, of course, uh, fans in, in Naples to see this team do what it's promised to do in the last two years and, and deliver on that promise and, and win the league. And in order to do that, they uh, they have to go to, to Rome and get, I think, uh, a win um, because we saw them do that against Lazio um, what, maybe three weeks ago. Um, but it was a Lazio team that, um, uh, after going in front, um, suffered uh, injuries to centre-back after centre-back after centre-back. Also, Dries Merton scored that arguably one of the goals of the season so far in Europe's top five leagues. But this this is another test uh, for this Napoli side, who um, yeah, are renowned for playing great football, but this season haven't always played great football, um, and yet and they've often gone behind. But I think what they've shown, which I think is, is making people believe in them this time around, is that it doesn't really matter. Mm. They can go behind, and yet they can still score enough goals to win. Right, Roma beginning to come together under Eusebio Di Francesco, as well, so that's going to be a great game. Juventus, who dropped points last time out, uh, slipping behind in second place. They are going to be hosting a Lazio side who, of course, beat them so dramatically 3-2 in the Super Cup to kick the season off. Lazio coming off a 6-1 win against Sassuolo. Yeah, and uh, they deserve to win that game against Juventus. They they outplayed them for vast stages of that game. It was only Paolo Dybala who managed to get the Bianconeri back into it, scoring twice. And uh, Simone Inzaghi, who was in London uh, of the oh. of the last international fortnight, because I think one of his uh, one of his boys uh, lives over here, right. um, studies over here. But uh, Inzaghi, who's done such a good job, not only last year, but obviously building on what he did last year, winning a trophy, um, yeah, has been linked um, with uh, with Juventus, even though Allegri has signed a new deal until Simone Inzaghi. Simone Inzaghi, yes, wow. um, because. Uh, well, he goes way, way back with um, Juventus' sporting director, Fabio Padatici. Um, but you would say on, on the work that he's done there, the, the talent he's developed there as well, um, where he's had to rebuild after selling some of their best players. We've yet to see, for example, Felipe Anderson even fi- yeah. feature in this, in this Lazio side. They lost Bilia, their captain, Keita Baldidia. Doesn't matter. If we ever do an mm. Italian football podcast, we can have a whole show all we can. about Simone Inzaghi, who is one of the most surprising managers. No, he's the most surprising manager yeah. with, with, in, in, in football for me right now. Um, do, do you know when the last time Lazio won away at Juventus in the league? Was it back in the days of Sven? And almost, 2003. Ah, oh, Mancini. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the other huge game, of course, is the Milan derby. Mm. Wow completely transformed thanks to Chinese money Milan derby because they've been slightly you know wistful nostalgic affairs of late but this two clubs who very much see themselves as starting you know bright new future so that's going to be huge as well when that when's the Milan derby Sunday, Sunday night. night Sunday night yeah. that's great uh, yeah. we've not got too much time left listeners <laughs> but those are big games here's uh, a question ooh here's something I wanted to mention George Ware oh He's been elected president of Liberia. He's done it. Oh, is that not? It's not confirmed no, yet. But reports say that he's been elected president of Liberia. What a long way that man has come. Former telephone engineer. Did you know that? I didn't. And, and now uh, he's been called to office. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant, isn't it? I mean, he's been trying. For, he's, he's stood so many times, George Ware. I lo- one of the nicest time, people, really, the most down to earth, gentle, kind of sweet, humble people. Mm. Really nice. Um, Jules very excited about his son Timothy plays for PSG's yeah. voila 
He's at the Under-17 World Cup, but not for with the like, US. With the yeah. US, yeah. He was born in New York, I think. So. I'm glad you said that because there was a little bit of snide kind of commentary about the, the talent of the Weyer family. Obviously, his cousin was a bit of a <laughs> poor celebra. <laughs> yes, but uh, no, Timothy is very good, and George very was good, as good. well. Yeah. I mean, he really was. He may not scored ridiculous numbers of goals, but he was sco- he was playing in the in the most defensively astute league in the world at that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same kind of. Um, yeah, scepticism that is shown of Ancelotti's achievements as well. You know, particularly in league football. I mean, come I'd on. like to know. Um, and he, he follows a, a long and noble line of, of footballers going into politics. Of course, uh, Andrei Shevchenko, Jani uh-huh. Rivera, Jani Rivera in Italy. Of course, who else you got? Uh, Pele was Minister of Sport for Brazil. Bebeto, Romario, both. Oh, oh Romario. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's on there. Yep, Rio State Senate. Pavlichenko was uh, elected a city council deputy in his hometown of Stavropol, says producer Ben. And, of course, then you got Gaddafi Jr., who was, I think, (laughs) held a governmental role after his exploits in in Italy with Perugia and then Udinese, where he managed to get banned, as we always mention, without ever taking part in a football match. Mm. Uh, which was pretty good. Bathe in milk, I think. Did he? Well, I think that was the story from the the porter of the hotel that he stayed in. In Perugia? No, in Udine. Oh, in Udine. Yeah. Um, that uh, either him or an acquaintance of his bathed in milk. Yeah. I cannot imagine anything worse. Well, I can imagine anything worse. Than, <laughs> but it wouldn't be in my top five of things to bathe in. No. Crumble would be up there, certainly. Yeah. Milk, not so much. <laughs> Very coming to America. I suppose it is. I suppose it is. Um, who was his manager? Was it... Was it Cosme. Oh, was it Cosme? Uh, oh, what, Cosme. Uh, what, Perugia, yeah. Yeah, no, Cosme. but Perugia, it wasn't Roy Hodgson, was it? No. No, no okay. All right, that would have been interesting. Roy Hodgson in a bath of milk offers producer Ben. yes. Try and unthink that one. (laughs) Dr. Tom, when's your film out? Film, uh, we're we're currently in the process of selling it, so we're hoping to release it next May. The new edition of Football Manager is out on the 10th of November. Oh, dear. uh, Which, yeah. Is that why Maka hasn't been in the pod? I haven't seen him, actually. I think he has some early access, so I think he's literally just disappeared straight away. Imagine if he got sucked in Tron style into the game. That He'd could never be, come that could be a movie book. in a mirror episode like that. Yeah. <laughs> is there? Yeah. yeah. And there was this film, quite famous one, mm. with Jeff Bridges. Yeah. And light bikes. Yeah. Yeah. Have it's, you got either no light bikes? And, I don't. No. Um, all right. Well, listen, listeners, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks also uh, for Julian Laurent and you. Dr. Tom Markham and James Hallcastle thank for all their talking. Uh, we will be back on Monday, of course. So just have a great weekend, everybody, and uh, look forward to seeing you on the other side. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. <laughs>